The presenting sponsor for EgoCheck with the DM is RPG Research. RPG Research is a 501c3 research and human services nonprofit charitable 100% volunteer-run organization. They provide music and role-playing game research. They provide community programs, and they're all using collaborative music and games to help people improve their functioning and quality of life. Uh, they're working with individuals with ADHD, anxiety, other at-risk populations, brain injuries, and depression, impulse control, mental health issues, social phobias, social skills development, and substance use dependency. RPG Research is an open international community sharing, studying, and providing accessible and inclusive collaborative music and games to help improve people's lives. To find out more about this organization, you can find them online at rpgresearch.com. Once again, that's rpgresearch.com. of Ego Check with the DM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and today I'm joined by Matt Dixon. Really excited to talk to Matt today. He is a freelance illustrator who's been working as an artist, I believe, for a few decades now, and I am excited to talk with him about his creative process and just to thank him for the probably hundreds of hours I've enjoyed his art while playing Hearthstone over the years. Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I originally had, well, I've been playing Hearthstone for years, and then one day I kind of put two and two together and realized that you did quite a lot of work for that set, for the Hearthstone game, and then went down a bit of a rabbit hole and checking out your other art, you, you do a transmissions series i believe yeah. is the name of it that's great uh, and then prior to us talking today did a little bit of background work and learned that you've been working in the video game industry for quite a long time going all the way back to the commodore 64 days yeah which is you know warms my heart because that's what i grew up with as well so maybe just educating folks who are listening when did your art career get get started oh well, um, I, I think that all depends on where you want to start counting. Um, sure. I, all artists say this, but I've, I've I've always drawn. I've always liked to make pictures and shapes. I can't remember a time when I, I, I wasn't filling any empty space I could see, whether it was paper or the walls of my bedroom or or, or whatever, with nice. stick men shapes, just just anything that came to mind. Really, it's always been just part of me I think so yeah when, when, when did it start I, I, I don't know Be, before I can remember I think if, if, if that's not a sort of uh, a, a, a pretentious way to answer the question it's 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 really been there all along as to when the first sort of professional engagements came along that could be in the playground at infant school um, <laughs> that could be friends to paint on their leather jackets when I was a teenager but I think the first real paid gig I had was um, pixel art for a Commodore 64 game when I was 15 years old if I remember correctly um, and that was my that, that was my introduction to to working professionally and to the games industry um, which as as you've alluded to there I've, I've really been involved with pretty much ever since it's it's been my entire career well and when you were even a teenager what were the types of games books uh, cartoons or art that you were into what what do you think influenced you during those early years i think very early on um it was definitely comics and uh sort of line drawing so i can remember vividly dr zeus that, that I think that's he's he's the first guy where I was really aware of the the images I was seeing being drawn. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, you know, I could I could see the drawing that was going on there. There's a sort of a life to that, which has always interested me. I think ever, ever since um, stuff which has had yeah, life is the only way I can really describe it. I think 
is 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 something that's really it's it's been fascinating to me. I think the fact that something which is static, a two-dimensional image, can have movement and some sort of sense of character and personality. So I'd go right back to early storybook illustrations, Dr. Zeus being the main one for sure. And then from there, I think fairly early on, I found fantasy, maybe eight, nine, ten years old. Um, I, I can't remember what came first, sort of fantasy and video games, in the form of uh, text adventures, which, while clearly they're not visual, really ignited my imagination. Oh, yeah. Or my early sort of uh, dalliances with uh, role-playing games and fantasy. Um, the guys who started Games Workshop, Ian Livingstone and Steve Jackson, did a series of... Uh, choose-your-own-adventure books called Fighting Fantasy. I don't know if they're known very well outside of the UK, um, but it, that, that was big news for me when that arrived. The interactive nature of it uh, really caught my imagination, and then coupled with that with the amazing uh, line drawings uh, by a guy called Russ Nicholson. Um, so I guess I would have been about 10 maybe a bit younger than that. Um, and that's really when I sort of discovered fantasy. And from there, anything which looked as if it was at all connected to that, a book with a dragon on it, mm -hmm. uh, something with a sword, you know, I was I, I was in. I was in. Um, and then my, my first visits to uh, Games Workshop, as it was then in the UK, uh, was, was a specialist retailer and pretty much the only place that you could find role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. Um, uh, I, I can remember my first trip there and just, you know, the pocket money that I had at the time was gone instantly uh, <laughs> on sort of dual dice and just just as many... I, I, I was buying things based on the cover art and my meagre sort of 12-year-old budget. So I wanted as many things as I could get and I was really buying for the art. Um so, yeah, it, it just just anything fantasy really has, has always really got me fired up. That's really cool to hear because one of the folks that I interview quite a bit is about Dungeons and Dragons. And I interviewed the, one of the individuals behind the Art and Arcana book for D&D, &D, which is this visual history of that game and the four decades of art that have gone into the game. Okay. And it's so evocative. Of yeah. And how it's changed over the different editions. Um, and it sounds like when you were young and that game was kind of first coming out, maybe drawing characters for yourself, for other, for other friends, and you'd certainly just looking through those images to get inspiration. It sounds like that was part of the early process. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's interesting. You may mention other friends. Um, uh, I did have friends, but nobody else at school was really at all interested in this stuff. So I've always been a kind of a, um, a, a lurker, I suppose. I've been on the sidelines of paper role-playing games my entire life, you know, and a, a voracious collector of source books and things. But as a player, you know, very few hours, really, um, apart from stuff like the fighting fantasy books, um, which, which allowed kind of solo play. So it's, it's, it's something I've experienced through other people, really, but not something I've missed because it's always been the art. And as you say, the way that's inspired my imagination, that's been more interesting to me than sitting down with other people. I have done that a few times. It's, it's, a, it's a brilliant experience. <laughs> um, but, but for me, it's, oh, that picture. And then immediately that's sparked other pictures, and I want to go and explore that. I want to get the sketchbook out. These days I want to fire up Photoshop, and I just want to start drawing and see what comes out. And with the computer technology and how that continued to improve, the single-player games that were role-playing games really became much more interactive and absorbing. So were there games like that, titles like that, that you got into? Absolutely. Um, can I recall any of them? I'm not sure. But I really, I think because I've been sensitized to stats 
from all the monster manuals and things that I'd, I'd, I'd read through. You know, it, it's 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 extra food for the imagination. Once you've seen the image, uh, to then read about the creature um, and and have its uh, have its statistics laid out there in cold hard numbers, that was also a really great way to fire up the the imagination. So as soon as uh, RPGs became available on the computer where you had um, stats, you had your character that you could roll at the beginning. Again, stuff like that really drew me in. That was stuff that I wanted to get involved with again because it was uh, feeding the imagination. You know, I can remember um, I'd have a, 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 a game session and then I'd immediately go to paper and I'd want to draw more. You know, I'd want to fill in the gaps that I hadn't been satisfied from the game experience, maybe. I wanted to fill those bits in. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can't remember any of the games that I used to play. It's going back a long time now. We're, we're, you know, it's, it's, sure. it's decades in the past. But there were so many of them. I, 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 I think that's what it is. Although I'm wondering now how much of that gaming time was spent with with RPGs. It feels like it was a lot. They're vivid memories, but I wonder if they're sort of disproportionate because they had such an impact and because they encouraged me to draw. Sure. I wonder if they're maybe remembered uh, a little bit more clearly than probably equal, if not more, hours of shoot 'em ups and uh, beat 'em ups and, and those type of games. I just wanted to take a quick break to talk about a product that I'm very excited about and I hope you all check out. Are the dice trays available by Woodcraft by Us? This is a company that is run by one of my fellow players in my Dungeons and Dragons games. And he and his father are creating handcrafted, uh, beautiful wooden dice trays. I've been able to. Uh, get in on the ground floor with these. I've uh, helped Kevin, the gentleman who is making these, uh, play test them, so to speak. Uh, we've been playing around with them during our games over the last few months, and he has kind of perfected his design along with his father. And the trays use exotic hardwoods uh, like Purple Heart and Black Walnut and are made with a top channel that is a great place to set dice that are not in play. I've been tweeting out some photos of these dice trays in action over the last few months during our gaming sessions, and people have been pretty excited about them, and now they are available for purchase. The bottom of the dice tray has a layer of cork to minimize dice bounce and can be topped with the felt color of your choice. Uh, That can all be customized on their website at woodcraftbyus.com. Once again, that's woodcraftbyus.com. Roll better, grip more, and visit woodcraftbyus.com. Well, and early on, what were some of the, the techniques for your art that felt more satisfying for you? What, I guess another way to ask that is sort of what, how did your style of art evolve over the years? It's, 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 it's always bounced around. Okay. Michael. So in, in the early days, um, as you might expect, it was pencil and paper, or in fact, anything that would make a mark on paper. I used to spend a lot of time with um, uh, ballpoint pens and things like that. It really, just anything that came to hand and any piece of paper that was to hand, I'd draw a way on there. Once I had uh, a computer, um, so the VIC-20 was the first microcomputer I ever had. I immediately realized that this was another white space that I could fill with shapes of my own design. Okay. Uh, so it, be- it became an art tool straight away. And the Vic, I'm not sure if the Commodore 64 had it as well, I don't think it did, but the Vic 20 had um, uh, little ASCII characters, little shapes that were sort of available with a press of the shift or control key, whatever it was, along with the letters. So it was, it was almost like a virtual Lego set. Uh, now, w- once I'd made that realization, that was it. The, the pen and paper was out of the picture for, for a fair amount of time. I don't know what it was about 
making pictures on the computer, but it was really, really exciting. I think perhaps just because it was vivid, you know, it was glowing through a cathode ray tube there. It was it was somehow more exciting than just paper and pen. And it moved on from there. When the Commodore 64 came along, um, I'd already played around with coding my own uh, graphics in a very clumsy, self-taught fashion. But the Commodore 64... That was the first time I got involved with any kind of art package. I think it was VidCom first and then Deluxe Paint after that. Um, and that's where I discovered the joy of pixel graphics, okay. um, which is what led to the, the first gig that I talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's really taken off from there. Uh, so over time, having sort of thrown the paper and pens away for a while, and focused entirely on, on digital, the paper and pens came out again, and it sort of chopped and changed. So I've, I, I, when, when something exciting has been happening um, in, in the realm of digital art in my little world, then I've been digital. And then, you know, if, if I get a little bit bored of that, it, it went back to traditional again. And so that cycle continued until I guess probably about 20 years ago maybe a little bit less when uh, photoshop really felt like it could do everything that i wanted it to do okay. um and i've been pretty much solidly digital since then okay yeah so that answers that question one of the things i was curious about is like what's the process now when you start working on something is there a, a tangible paper and pen it sounds like it's all digital right now it is all digital, but it's based very much on um, the sort of the last iteration of my traditional working, if you like. So if, if you imagine that I've sort of swapped between traditional and digital maybe three or four times prior to adopting digital fully, um, the last iteration would have been painting with acrylics. Um, so when I picked up Photoshop and really decided, OK, I'm going to make a go of this, my approach was just to try and move the acrylic painting process which I was familiar with and I was happy with the results from into the digital realm so it's it's a it's, it's a very simple process it's a really really loose sketch to begin with then that sketch gets refined I add some uh, tone to that so that whole process is just like sketching onto a piece of paper with with pencil um, from there I add some basic colors which is as, as you'd add a glaze of, of, of base colours with acrylics. Uh, once I'm happy with everything there, and this is something that digital allows you to do that traditional obviously doesn't, because you can mess around in that process for as long as you want. Everything sort of infinitely uh, changeable. Uh, once I'm happy at that point, everything gets flattened down in Photoshop and I work on it in, like it's a virtual canvas. So just on a single layer, um, and I really dig in and try and get something of a traditional look because although I enjoy the power and the flexibility that you get from, from digital, the look of uh, a traditional painting is still something that really excites me. I think it comes back to that, those very first thoughts um, when I was noticing art for the first time. It's the life, the idea that there's some sort of energy in there, that things aren't quite finished, nothing's tightened up to the point where it's become completely crystallized everything's moving about mm -hmm. um so yeah painty marks something to evoke the sort of the the, the, the frazetta that, that sort of golden age of uh, of illustration yes and and that it, it, it that uses the old brushes um that i used to paint with uh, when i was working with acrylics so when when i when i made the jump to photoshop uh, I got some black acrylic paint, lots of pieces of white copier paper, and I just used those old brushes and the sponges and toothbrushes, even my thumb, just to make random marks on these uh, pieces of paper, put them out on the line to dry outside. Once they dried, I got them back in, scanned them into the computer, and I'm still using those brushes now. Uh, it's not quite the same, obviously, but um, it's an attempt to introduce sort of a random element. Uh, into the painting process. Yeah, and, and perhaps a sideways question, just as I'm listening to you talk about evolving over the years and how you've bounced back and forth between traditional and digital, what's it been like for you as an artist as the technology has 
exponentially increased since you know the the 80s when we're talking about Commodore 64s and <laughs> at the time that was revolutionary and I remember having an Apple 2C and like not believing what I was capable of doing on that thing <laughs> and now you have all these tools at your fingertips and just for you what's that been like as you continue in your career and your professional work well, it's, it, uh, that's a really interesting question. I'm not sure I've really given it much thought. I, I, I think I, I, I underuse the potential of digital enormously. Mm. Um, and I think that might have something to do with my age, perhaps, and the fact that I've been using Photoshop regularly now as my main art tool uh, for such a long time. So... I, I know how to do what I do. And as I've just described, my process is fairly simple. It's fairly linear. Uh, and it's an attempt to evoke something of um, the traditional way of working that I'd, that I'd left behind. So I think because of that, there's, there's a huge area of Photoshop which just gets left untouched. And I do. I, I wonder if I may be left behind. I have had conversations with other artists, mm -hmm. usually younger artists, and they're talking about all the, the way they work and all the tools they use. And I'm nodding politely, but I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Radiant maps? What's that? I don't know. Um, there's, there's all kinds of crazy stuff in there. And I think this is the wonder of it, um, is how flexible it is. Right. It's an empowering tool. Anybody can sit down with... Photoshop and uh, providing you can get over the the intimidating nature of the of the the, uh, the interface because there are so many choices, um, you can find a way of working which is unique to you. There's so many permutations there, it's amazing. So uh, the uh, I, I I think for me personally, since uh, digital art has reached a certain level, it hasn't really had a huge impact on me. The, the way it's had an impact on me is by watching all the other amazing digital artists out there who are using these new tools to create their artwork and how inspiring that is. Very cool. Yeah, the, the whole piece about the technology and how that's increased, I mean, it's affected, I think, every industry. And certainly art is, is one of those industries. It's, it's changed. It's interesting when you talk about some of the younger artists, how they might have a different approach based on the technology that was available when they were first getting getting into things, so that well, influences their be, process. Yeah, it, it must be amazing to be um, uh, if 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 the sort of ten, twelve year old me who was first experiencing digital art way back then was to be sort of zoom forward into the future and and, and be presented with Photoshop. Um, it, it would set me on a completely different course. I'm sure that uh, the way I paint, both uh, traditionally and digitally, really has its roots in um, my first sort of proper art experience, which was pixel art. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at um, the way I apply sort of surface texture and shading um, in a, a lot of my own work, there's a, almost to me, anyway, I don't know if anybody else can see it. To me, there's a pixel-like quality to that. The same textures that I used to try and uh, create in my pixel art, it's definitely still there in the uh, in, in the way I approach my current artwork. So, yeah, I, it, I, had the tools been different, that would not have been there, and I'd have taken a different route. My art would look different. So, it's going to be fascinating. To to see how the technology moving along influences things going forward. It's amazing. The art that I want to specifically talk about is, you know, your work on, on Hearthstone. And you started working, learned this for, for Blizzard, I think over 10 years ago with the World of Warcraft trading card game. So how, how did that come about? It, it sounds like it was just uh, you were on a list of artists on this email and you, you got involved that way. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I get asked about this a lot at conventions, and I really feel like uh, getting to work for Blizzard should be a, a really exciting story. Uh, but it's not. It is just an email that, that turned up in the inbox one day. And looking back, it was a, 
a, a pretty pivotal moment. But at the time, I wasn't really over familiar with with Blizzard products. I, I was aware of World of Warcraft, which was obviously their their big title at the uh, at the time. Um, but I wasn't a player of, of any Blizzard games. Um, what was most resonant to me. Uh, although I didn't realise it at the time, was the other people who were on that email list. So it had been sent out to maybe a hundred artists, I think, when they were canvassing for the uh, the initial set of uh, World of Warcraft trading card game illustrations. Um, of course, I was very pleased to be part of that list, but it wasn't until I realised who else was on the list that I realised. Oh, maybe this is some kind of a, a, a moment in my career. Yeah. Because th- there were guys that I'd admired since those very early days. Boris Vallejo was on there. Th- that's the name wow. that really stood out. Yeah, sure. Um, now, I'm, I'm not comparing myself to Boris by any means, you know, but um, just to be sort of counted in that number with all these other artists, many of whom I'd, I'd admired for years, as I say, that was quite a big thing. That took a couple of days for me to really realise, um, and then the pressure was on. I really felt like, oh wow, I've got to kind of up my game here. Um, so there was it, that 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 first set. Uh, I just did one piece, um, uh, but it was it, it was a really interesting experience. I was excited. I wanted to be involved. But I wanted to really up my game, but then had to talk myself down. No, just do what you do. Don't give yourself the pressure because as, as soon as that's there, as soon as the idea is that you've really got to perform and you're not just letting things flow out, that really damages the way I work. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's just kind of tumbled along since there, really. And a really interesting journey because the World of Warcraft trading card game, as I think any artist who worked on it will tell you it was not a particularly uh, smooth experience. There were um, it was it was through Upper Deck, and they had approval on the artwork, but so did Blizzard. And Upper Deck, I, I, I gather that they're mostly a, like a baseball card company, and I don't think they really had a good handle on uh, managing certainly that type of artwork. So they were keeping it really uh, tightly managed. Um, so if you had the wrong number of spikes on an orc's shoulder pad, for example, the art would get bounced back. There was lots of backwards and forwards like that. And I think it um, it wasn't the happiest experience for some artists. I think because my natural style, thankfully, is very much in the Blizzard territory, I probably had an easier ride than some. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, once once the, the approvals process had settled down, which it did after the first few sets, it was great. And I did, I think, 60, 70 illustrations for that game. And some Lots of those of cards continue. I mean, some of that art is in Hearthstone now, which yeah. I think is interesting. Like that from art from over 10 years ago, it, it's back very li- very much lively in the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super cool. And I think I'm, I'm not sure about the last couple of expansions, but certainly up until very recently, Hearthstone have uh, been uh, uh, recycling some, some of that old art. It's it's great to see it pop up, but uh, it's 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 an odd moment when uh, a piece from ten years ago, which I'd completely forgotten about, <laughs> suddenly appears in game. It's great to see it again, and it's great that it's judged to be of an acceptable standard and style. To fit in with everything else, but that makes me then think, well, what have I been doing in the last ten years? Have I not moved on? <laughs> Maybe I just had it right back then. I don't know. Yeah, don't know. it's it's odd. We can't help but analyze this stuff. Right now, I've talked, I've spoken with with other artists here on the show, and one of the things that I, I think seems to be a theme is that looking at your own work, whether it's it's an illustration or sometimes talking with writers. Um, when you look back at your early stuff, there's some some kind of cringe to it because there's yeah. we're always our we're always kind of our harshest critics. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so what's that like for you to to see something that is almost resurrected of like oh? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I'm I'm much better now than I used to be. If you'd asked me that question ten years ago, Michael, I would have been um, consumed 
with the imposter syndrome and all the other problems that we have. But yeah, I, I, I try not to think about it now. I mean, when, when an image is done, it's done. Mm. You know, with everyone, you try to do your best. With illustration, sometimes that doesn't work, not because you haven't performed to your best ability, but because the client is wanting something different. So with illustration versus something which is more personal, like say the transmission stuff, I can have a different relationship with it. Um, it's much easier to say, okay, that's done, it's approved, client is happy, and then you move on. So these days when I see old stuff, it depends on the image, but generally I'm, I'm just happy to see it getting a new outing. That's great. Uh, there are times when you look back and you can't help notice that the elbow's all wrong or one ear's higher than the other or, or whatever it is, but, you know, it's done. There's nothing you can do about it. Images are never perfect. The, the image that I have in my imagination at the start of a, a painting is never what's there on the canvas when I send it off to the client. You know, it's, it's just not possible because what's in my head is multidimensional and it's got sound and smell and everything with it. Trying to nail that down into two dimensions, it's, it's, it's just never going to work. Um, and having had that realisation, it really frees you up, I think, just to kind of get in there and have fun. Um, you know it's not going to be perfect, so just get as close as you can and hope that that's good enough. When were you brought on specifically for Hearthstone? Okay, so that was on the Goblins and Gnomes expansion. Okay. Um, I can't remember exactly when that was, but I think then it was, uh, yeah, I was, I was just brought on for One Piece, which was Target Dummy. And then having turned that in and had that approved, they came back and offered me another one, which is very nice. That was Jeeves. And then a third one, which was Anoyatron. And from there, I feel like I sort of, that was the point at which I, it clicked. And I feel like I understood what they were wanting from me for Hearthstone. Um, and I've been involved in, I think, every expansion since then. It seems like the, the style, the, the illustrations that you do, to me, they're some of my favorite in the in the game and again this is before i even realized that the same person was responsible for all the different <laughs> cards uh, so i realize i'm coming to this a bit late you know you, on your website you have a list of all the different cards that, that you've worked on and i remember when i first kind of connected the dots and i went to that page i was just blown away by it. i was like oh my goodness like yes this all makes sense now it's the same person <laughs> it's the same person creating these images but i think your styles and I think a lot of the choices they make in terms of the illustrations they give you, uh, a lot of the mech base cards, uh, like some Murlocs as well, that yeah. there's this um, theme. And I think you've described it earlier when you were talking about your influences, uh, this life to, to the image that almost like looking at the picture, this two-dimensional picture, but you can feel you can hear sound effects. You can hear other stuff. It just feels like it really uh, brings to life that, that image. And certainly when you're playing a game, and it's typically for me, it's on my phone. Sometimes I play on the PC. But just seeing that art over and over again, you form a connection with it, and the art sort of takes on some personality, and you either like this card or you don't like this card. And <laughs> that all connects back to your original work to, to give that card life. So I, one, just wanted to say thank you for, for the enjoyment over the years. And well, and, and thank you for the nice compliment. I mean, that, that, that's exactly what I'm hoping to achieve. So that, that, that's wonderful. It's important, I think, to note as well that uh, it's not just the art that's uh that, that's in play there i mean obviously it's the sound effects yes it's the visual effects um and it's 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 the flavor of the game um and, and that's 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 a wonderful thing about working on something like hearthstone where you know that it's a team effort you know that you know i put everything i can into the illustrations but then there's going to be layers on top of that which are coming from design which are coming from 
visual effects, which is coming from sound, which is coming from the guys who make the gold card animations. Um, and it really brings it all to life. It's uh, just as you've described. So, yeah, it's a great thing to be involved with from that point of view. Well, and how much of that are you aware of? Do you know, for example, okay, this card's going to have this voiceover or this sound effect, or is it more isolated? It's uh, how much am I aware of? Zero is the answer. <laughs> I mean, the, um, the, the, the briefs that come from uh, Blizzard are just that, brief. You get about two, three sentences, which is just right. So it gives us all the information we need so that the card works for the mechanic that's that's associated with it. But it also gives us plenty of space to add our own imagination into there. Uh, there's very rarely any, well, there's, there's, there's no stats and there's very rarely any um, reference to what the card might do uh, beyond whether or not it's uh, it's a legendary or not we, we sometimes get that information um, and I think that's good it's obviously a deliberate decision on uh, on Blizzard's path um, and I think certainly for me if the seed was planted this card was a, a taunt card for example it would influence the way that I would paint that to an extent that I think over time, over several expansions, you'd probably see similarity uh, in in those taunt illustrations. Better to have the variety, I think, which comes from allowing the artists that that little bit of extra freedom. Because of course, there's a there's a review process where if if what we turn in is way at, way off, doesn't fit with the card mechanic, then obviously. Blizzard can request changes. Um, but yeah, voiceover, VFX, as far as I'm aware, all of that happens after the art has been created. So whether the art influences that or not, I'm not sure. But yeah, we're, we're, we're in isolation, in, in our little studios scattered around the world, <laughs> <laughs> happily painting away. And somehow it all comes together into one clean version of the game. Um, and it really does, doesn't it? Which is amazing. So you were talking about... About the the taunts and you know a couple of the cards, I think you mentioned one of them before is like Anoyatron, which is a taunt, and then mm. many sets later, Hecklebot, which is yeah. I think also a taunt, and and those two images are very different. Yes, and I remember when I when they were doing the card releases, and I saw the Hecklebot art. I think my immediate reaction is like. I need to see the golden version of this because this card's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, with Hecklebot, what was, I don't know if you recall the brief you got for that, but how did that image come about? Um, I'm just prodding my memory banks now to see if I can recall exactly what was given to me. I can't. I think, I mean, in, in these cases, it usually is very, very simple. I think for, for, for a Neutron, for example, it was just a, a, an annoying robot. I mean, it, it was literally that, that simple. So for, for Hecklebart, it would have been something similarly straightforward, I think. Sure. Um, and he didn't change a great deal, actually. I mean, the, 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 the process for me is to take that brief, whatever it might be, and just dive in. I find that the first idea is often if not the best idea, it certainly forms the framework for where I end up. Not always. I mean, there, there are occasions where the first idea just, just doesn't work, but more often than not, the first idea is the kernel that will um, pr produce the final thing. And because this guy, the Hecklebot, he, he kind of had to up Annoyatron's level of annoying, I think, without being part of the Annoyatron family. Um, so he had to look very different. Um, and because he was going to be shouting at, at other characters, I wanted to make him all mouth. Uh, and the first sketch that was submitted, actually, he was all mouth. Uh, so it was a bot, a very similar shape, but his, his body, the sort of body section of the bot was the mouth, and there were just some eyes perched on top. Um, but it was it, it was a bit too much, not in terms of the uh, of the tone and just having a big mouth on the card. It was uh, it, it was a step away 
from um, the kind of Warcraft mech style. There needed to be more mech in there because, I mean, and, and this is this is uh, a perfect example of where Blizzard can tweak the illustration to make sure that it fits um, with the requirements of the game because it's got the mech tag. It needs to very obviously be a Warcraft mech. So I just he's still plenty of mouth on that guy. I just shifted it so it was in the head. That meant that the body section had more space to have mech pieces attached to it, so it would be obviously a robot. Uh, One of the other little touches on that card that I that I enjoy is the look on the guy's face in the background. <laughs> Which you yeah. could you could miss if you're not really paying attention, but I, I feel like that really adds to the overall image. Well, thank you, Michael. I, I, the, 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 for me, that illustration is all about that guy in the background. Right. Uh, I mean, obviously, it, the, the 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 hecklebot is is the main thing, but when the opportunity arises in Hearthstone to introduce that little bit of narrative, that's that, that's really really exciting for me. Um, particularly if it can be hidden and it's just left there for people who really pay attention. And so what is it like working on, I mean, as I mentioned, I think a lot of people play Hearthstone on mobile. The images are quite small. Mm-hmm. How does that change your process in creating the image? Not very much, really. I mean, it's uh, that's because I've been doing it for so long and I'm aware I, I, uh, I installed and began to play Hearthstone on my phone pretty much as soon as I was working on it. It's, it's always useful to be able to see these things in their natural habitat. So it was obvious very early on that, uh, particularly the minion cards, where the frame is very small, it had to have as much punch as possible. These have got to be really easy to read images, and that's great because that is my natural inclination. You know, it, it's it's a great opportunity to um, economise what's in the image. If something doesn't uh, just, if it can't justify its inclusion, then take it out. Keep the designs nice and simple. Make sure there's plenty of contrast between the character and the background in these occasions, and everything kind of works. There's a temptation, particularly with the legendary cards, to really get in there and pile on the detail, and it's pointless, absolutely pointless, because it can't be seen. Um, and it just, in doing that, at least the way that I would do that, it just adds a kind of a surface fizz on, onto the image. If you're adding things which are going to be, you know, uh, fractions of pixels tall, you know, it's, uh, it's 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 just not going to be seen in there. So it's 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 redundant. So it's important to keep that sort of a high level view um, and make sure that the big stuff is in there and working. Um, and any detail you apply is a slave to that. It's just kind of wrapped around the bones that make the image work at that small size. And has the the creative process for you changed as as the game has continued to evolve over time. I know you did some cards for the most recent expansion. And mm-hmm. Is the process between you and uh, Hearthstone folks pretty much exactly the same as it started out, or has it moved around a bit? It settled down pretty quickly. In the uh, f- for the first few illustrations, um, I was working directly with uh, Ben Thompson, who's the creative director. From, I think, the second expansion that I worked on onwards, uh, there was a dedicated outsource team headed by um, Jeremy Cranford. And I'd worked with Jeremy previously on the World of Warcraft trading card game, so we already had a relationship in place, which which has just kind of grown from there, really. Since then, it's been pretty steady, I would say. There's... there's, uh, it's 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 a very simple process. The brief comes out, the sketch goes back, sketch might need some changes, final goes off, again, final might need some changes, and then it's done. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, my familiarity with the property is is an advantage there, obviously. So yeah, it, it hasn't really, Michael. The, the 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 process has always been relatively smooth, I would say. And what's been your you know, favorite or thing that you're most proud of in in the Hearthstone world right now that you've worked on? Ooh, 
I don't know. I mean, if 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 I was held down and really <laughs> forced to pick a favourite, I'd have to say Annoyatron because I think that's that's when, uh, firstly, I felt as though I understood what Blizzard wanted from me, um, but also the first time that um, a card seemed to uh, take on a life almost beyond the game. Um, you know, it, it was such an annoying card. Face. <laughs> um, well, I should have you describe it. So, for for people who, for folks who play Hearthstone, you probably immediately know what Annoyatron is. But for those who <laughs> maybe have never played it, how how would you describe that image? Um, well, if if you imagine the most annoying robot that you could possibly face on a battlefield, then hopefully what I've drawn is something similar. He's a small brass fellow. Uh, with a, a copper wig, not a ginger wig, it's a copper wig uh, made of copper wire. Um, he's got a bell uh, in one hand, he's got a hooter in the other hand, his mouth's wide open, his eyes are crazy, he's just making a lot of noise and really drawing your attention. Um, and don't forget the suspenders, the smiley face pin. It's Yeah, yeah. he's got some little Y-fronts built onto his, uh, his, his, his bottom half. He's, he's in the air, which I think, you know, the, the idea of him jumping up and down and this confetti flying around in the background as well. He's, uh, yeah, he's a distracting fellow. <laughs> uh, but he's, yeah, so he, he would have to be my favourite, particularly as he spawned a whole family. There's now the Anoya module, Sir Anoyatron. He's returned in the form of a playable hero. Yes. Uh, there's also Anoyatron's mum has arrived in game in the form of Giggling Inventor. So, uh, you know, the, the, the idea that there's, there's a whole family of these little buggers out there, it's, it's, uh, that, that's pretty cool. It's really sort of endeared me to the whole, uh, the whole family tree. And what's, I don't even, if you follow the stuff that happens with the life of the card, so Giggling Inventor was something that came out and the stats on the card, it ended up being too powerful. They had to, to nerf it. They had to lower the stats on that. Sure. And yeah. is that something that you're aware of or you just kind of look at from afar? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 a, I'm a player, a casual player, it must be said. But, uh, yeah, so um, I, I, I do skip about on the, uh, on, on, on the fan sites and stuff um, just to see what's going on, maybe borrow a few uh, deck lists and stuff. So, yeah, when, when, when there's news like that, uh, I'm, I'm certainly aware of it. Um, it. It's always interesting to see how the, uh, the, the game design continues to evolve because it's obviously in flux right the way through up to release, um, which is how it should be. Um, and, and the fact that they're, they're able to make those adjustments even after cards are out there and, and, and being played, I think I think that's amazing. You know, there's uh, certainly going back to my time in uh, in house in video games. Uh, we're talking about console games here. That that, that was never an option. Um, so it's 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 amazing to see the way that uh, game design game development has, has, has moved on over those years um, and stuff on mobile which is live all the time it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a really amazing thing for developers I think One of the things that I've, I've found really interesting that you've been posting about on, on social media here in recent weeks is the I don't know if you're calling them speed runs or the, the art that you're creating with, uh, oh, the with speed paints speed paints, okay with yeah. the music going on in the background. So I think the <laughs> gist is you put on an album, and when that album is over, the art is done. So yeah. I'm wondering, are there characters or cards in Hearthstone that are associated with a specific piece of music in your mind? <laughs> uh, yes, there certainly are. I can't work without music on. Well, I, I can, but I find it really difficult. So my process is always, before Photoshop's open, before I reach for the pen, the headphones go on and I select a soundtrack. Um, now that soundtrack can be selected for one of two reasons, either to modify my energy, calm me down if I'm feeling particularly uh, uh, energetic, uh, maybe wake me up 
if I'm still half asleep, or it can be to suit the atmosphere of the illustration I've got to create. And I really seem to feed off the energy of whatever music I happen to be listening to. So, yeah, I mean, certainly Anoyatron and cards of that ilk, I would tend towards something cheerful and energetic. There was certainly... I mean, I I listen to all kinds of music. I tend to default towards the rock and metal end of things. Okay. But by no means exclusive down there. So Anoyatron, I remember specifically choosing uh, uh, Greatest Hits Herb Alpert album. Okay. Um, I I think just because it's it's, it's got that bounce and comedy to it. Um, So, yeah, whenever Anoyatron appears, I've got Tijuana Taxi or... Spanish flea. Nice. In my <laughs> As for the others, I mean, I, if, if you were to name specific cards, maybe there was, oh, uh, Dr. Boom, Mad Genius. Uh, towards the end of that one, I think I just invoked a playlist somewhere and it wandered into 80s territory. Uh, and there was, I, I'm not even sure what it was, but there was some disco in there and some sort of heavy synth stuff. Okay. And that's what inspired the sort of the, the, the lasers that are flying out the yeah, back. Yeah, the light show, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So there's 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 moments of inspiration like that, which 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 come from the music as well as the the energy it gives me. Um, well, you mentioned disco, and I think of like Whizbang, the Wonderful. Like that card just is so colorful <laughs> and amazing. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember exactly, but I would not be at all surprised if there was a bit of disco in that mix. That's amazing. So what the speed painting, what sort of inspired you to start that? I don't know if you would call it an experiment or a work process. Uh, it's um, it's I, I call it uh, an exercise, okay. I think, Michael. So it's it's something that I did before um, uh, back when we were talking earlier about me adopting the uh, adopting Photoshop as my kind of main art tool. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking 15 years ago or so now. I was working in-house at that time at a a games developer and a lot of my day was not painting. A lot of my day was emails, meetings and more technical art stuff. Uh, So I was keen to introduce some more actual painting, some creativity, um, as I felt it would be into my day. So my lunch times were given over to um, a painting. And there was a, they, they were known as speed paints in online art communities at that time. It's really just a digital sketch. And that, that's, that's a more accurate way to describe them, really, although they are conducted in a very short period of time. So, yeah, every lunch hour I would sit down and I would choose a subject and just paint. And it was limited to that 60 minutes. Um, so maybe actually about 45, 50 minutes of painting time because I was stuffing a sandwich into my face. Uh, at the same time um, and it's really where I cut my teeth on digital art so the beauty of the speed paint idea is that um, you can only achieve so much in that time it's going to be sketchy, it's going to be loose you are not going to achieve a polished, finished illustration by any means so um, that takes the pressure off you can then be free to experiment. It's a great place to uh, try new tools, to explore ideas, use different brushes, you know, deliberately challenge yourself by um, only using this, a limited set of colours or whatever. But it, it, it's, it, it, it's a workout, I think, for the imagination or, and maybe as well as, the, uh, the digital painter's technique. So I did this every day uh, for months and months. Um, uh, An art forum that I was involved in at the time uh, had a a daily sketch group. Um, So I I then did it for that, so based on their daily topics, um, which was great because I could then share those paintings uh, with the community, get some sort of feedback. And it it became a really important part of, of, of my day. As I got busier, slowly fell away mm-hmm. to the point that you know I haven't done them on a regular basis for about 10 years so I thought it would be fun to start again 
just to see what happens now, 10 years on, um, have I changed? Has, uh, do I still want to practice? There are still things that I want to experiment with. And this keys in nicely to your question earlier on about um, how the technology has moved on. There are vast unexplored areas of Photoshop for me. So maybe this is a chance, once I've cracked the rust off my speed painting brushes, um, uh, to, to, to experiment with that stuff. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just a, a, a safe place in the day, regardless of whether I'm working on my own work, client work. Um, if I'm not doing art stuff, uh, which is sometimes the case, if I've got a lot of paperwork to do, it means that there's around about an hour where I can just have fun and throw pixels around. Um, and the, the, the album idea um, is, is just a, a, a way of timing. Sure. The, the, the amount of uh, time I'm spending there. Um, uh, the benefit is that, particularly if it's an album I'm familiar with, I kind of know when the alarm is about to go off, but those final songs kick in, and I'm all right, okay, I've got to tidy this off now. Right. Yeah, so, but yeah, I, I definitely encourage people because you've been posting some of them on your uh, Twitter, uh, at Mac, Matt Dixon Art. Uh, and I'm, yeah. I just have the one from August 17th queued up here. And it looks like an image that is straight out of a role-playing game manual. Right. It's so evocative of Dungeons & Dragons and games like that. It's this little figure in front of this towering creature. And ah, yes. It's, uh, it's, again, there's this life to, to that image that I imagine you spent less than an hour on it, and it looks uh, quite impressive. So it's a very... Cool process. Again, you mentioned being a lurker before, just being able to see some of the stuff you're posting from an ocean away. It's pretty cool to just yeah. see the stuff you're working on. Well, thank you. It's, uh, it, 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 it'll be interesting when I've been doing them for longer. Hopefully I can keep it up to see if there's a theme that appears here, because I, I do tend to default to that first stuff that really inspired me. Fantasy is that that's if, if nothing else comes to mind it's going to be a dragon it's going to be a demon it's going to be a, a magic sword floating in the in the air right uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see i i would expect a heavy skew towards sword and sorcery so one of the things maybe just to as we get ready to end here uh a person sent in a question for me to ask um and i think we've talked a little bit about this um but do you believe that a person's art style is representative of their personality? What are your Ooh. thoughts on that? That's interesting. I suppose it's got to be to some degree, but maybe it depends on the artist and it would certainly depend on the work. Just, I, I mean, I can only speak from my own point of view, obviously. If I'm working on an illustration, if it's a, if it's a client piece, then... It's not my idea. Um, my my interpretation is personal, but the the root of that idea has come from somewhere else. So I think in those circumstances, perhaps you if you were to look at um, a lot of work from that artist, you could get a, an impression of their personality. But individually, um, I think there'd probably only be a a whiff. Of, of how that person was feeling at the time just because as an illustrator you're, you're, you're just kind of wallpapering somebody else's thoughts with personal work very different I would say um, and if I could reference my own personal work Please. the transmission yeah series, I wanted to the, close on that anyway so it's, you're, okay. you're going um, right in that direction excellent <laughs> I'm not. What I find interesting about about that idea of how much of a of an artist's personality comes through in the work um, is how much of it is possibly determined by the viewer. So the transmission stuff for people who aren't familiar with it, um, they're solitary robots, um, often a little bit beaten up, and often not doing very much, just kind of hanging out in nature. Uh, or riding the subway. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. They're just out and about in the world. Uh, th those images are often interpreted as being sad and melancholy. And while I can certainly see that people would interpret them that way, when I paint them, 
that's just about the happiest I can be. Um, mm. I really love that work. It's the most personal stuff that I do. And I'm, uh, you know, borderline euphoric when I know I've got a few days just to sit down and create one of these things because it's pure freedom to me. I know that I'm working around a robot. Uh, but more than that, it just flows from somewhere. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really joyful process. So quite why they would have this sort of melancholy feeling, I'm not sure. Um, and certainly somebody who was trying to interpret my personality based on those images, I'm not sure. Well, it's, it's a very complicated question, Michael, because it throws it, it's, it, it, it means I've got to analyse what I think my personality is. But certainly I don't think I'm a particularly melancholy sort of person. Um, uh, I'm generally quite cheerful. So I certainly don't get a lot of melancholy vibes from talking with you here today. So. <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating question. And I think it's one of the things that I enjoy the most about creating the transmissions work is not so much the reaction online, although that's always very interesting. But if I get the chance to uh, see people's reaction in person at comic conventions or whatever, it's I, I think it's the most rewarding artwork that I've ever made because it elicits such a range of responses. Each individual image can be interpreted in so many different ways um, and they aren't designed specifically that way. They're designed to have a certain amount of ambiguity in there but to see people react so strongly sometimes it's a wonderful thing and it takes me completely by surprise because there's no intent there. I'm just presenting these things. Very interesting question, that. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe have to come on again and we'll have the whole... Oh, that would be excellent. ...the whole episode <laughs> d discussing how uh, the artist's personality manifests in the work. Well, and I think about... You mentioned transmissions and one of the, the images, again, you have on your website. So it's the mystery of flight, and it's this little robot sitting on a tree branch with a kite that is kind of tangled up in the tree... There's leaves falling, and I would imagine some people could look at that and think of disappointment or sadness, and other people might look at that as childlike and wondrous. Um, yeah. And I don't know what your intention was when, when you created it, but I imagine as people are looking at that image, depending on their mood and what they're bringing into the experience, they might get something very different from it than what you intended. Well, I think, I, I think maybe, I think, well, there is no intent other than, I think, perhaps providing enough ingredients for the viewer to make their own stew. Yeah. If, if, if that metaphor makes sense. I don't know why I've, I've, I've gone in the culinary direction there. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's I, 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 none of them are designed to elicit a particular response. I think if I feel that they're going that way while I'm working on them, and as I say, they're generally not planned, or at least not in too much detail, they're very spontaneous. Um, if I feel that they're leaning too much in a direction that might lead the viewer, I tend to rein back then and maybe counterbalance with something else in the image. So I want them to be, I mentioned how much I enjoyed the narrative stuff when the opportunity arose in Hearthstone, I want them to be as narrative as possible but also mysterious. I think that's really important that, you know, I've had lots of questions from people about um, the uh, the wider world that these robots live in. There's five books of these images now, so there's, there's lots of them. And I don't know. I don't know what the wider world is. It's important for me to retain that mystery for myself. It's a personal act, this sort of exploration but i'm just exploring through that one window that one canvas and that then gives me an inkling of what else is out there um if i knew what the whole world looked like i'd have no interest in exploring with with, with new images so it, it needs to be mysterious for me and i hope that means that it's intriguing for for the viewer well i appreciate you uh I guess pulling back the curtain a little bit for me to see inside your creative process here for a little while for folks who are maybe interested in reaching out to you or following you on social media, how can they go about doing that? 
Uh, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as uh, Matt Dixon Art. Um, but the easiest way, it's a little bit old school these days, is probably just to visit mattdixon.co.uk. Everything's on there, uh, including links to all the social media stuff. And one of the things that I'm making notes here as we were talking, one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, hearing from you is this idea of when it's done, it's done. And that idea of closure was something that you're creating and accepting that that has been completed and moving on to something else. Uh, I think that's, yeah, I think that's really powerful. And I know that can be a challenging thing for folks who are, who are creating, who are trying to freelance, whether it's writing or artwork to hear. Yeah. And, yeah. And if I could just say, Michael, I think, I think that's, that, that also keys into this, the speed paint thing. If I've learned one thing, in my time creating art, um, that for me, at least, it's completed images which teach me the most. So the more images I complete, even if I deliberately limit the time that I'm allowed to spend on those, with the speed paints, for example, the more I learn. When I was leaving many images unfinished because I wasn't quite happy and I didn't know how to resolve them, I wasn't learning anything. So for me, and it is very much a personal thing for everybody who does this stuff. I think finished images, look at them then, and you can see what went right, what went wrong, try and do the stuff that went right again and try and avoid the stuff that went wrong and just take that onto the next image and the next one and the next one and just keep, keep trucking. Well, that sounds like it's excellent advice, whether you're writing or illustrating or podcasting, you know, <laughs> just put those episodes out there and don't keep editing or tinkering. So, yeah. Probably with that vibe, we'll uh, we'll end here. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all the images you've you've created that I've been consuming with my eyes over the years, uh, unknowingly for a little while. Uh, but then finding out that it was you that created them, I really appreciate your time and uh, talking with me here today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Michael. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Wonderful. You're welcome. <laughs>